You're listening to From Passion to Profit, a show about female entrepreneurs who have built their businesses from the ground up and turned their passion into profit. These episodes share their most inner working thoughts, their journey, triumphs, and challenges. Whether you're just starting out or looking to take your business to the next level, these women have valuable advice and insights to share. If you want to turn your passion into profit, this podcast is for you. Our guest today is none other than Mariela de la Mora. Mariela is a leadership and EQ coach for women CEOs and corporate leaders and a business coach for women of color. After climbing the corporate ladder as a Latina in a senior leadership role, Mariela decided she wanted to create a business for women like her to create their own legacies. Mariela's mission is to help women grow their businesses and become confident in demand leaders. In this episode, Mariela shares her inspiring journey with us from her humble beginnings to her current successes and everything in between. Every story needs a first chapter. And having spent 16 years in the marketing industry, Mariela's story begins there, breaking into the marketing space. Two specific memories come up specifically when I think about starting out in marketing. Um... First is the day that I chose my marketing major and why I did it. So I'm the eldest daughter of Mexican immigrants. And something that I always heard growing up was like, you need to just pick a career where you're going to make good money because life is expensive and we don't want you and your sisters to struggle. And I remember I had gone through the first two years of college. And so all of my like basic courses were like already done and I needed to choose a major. And I remember like Googling the highest starting salaries, um, like degrees, like for highest starting salaries and marketing was like up there. So I I literally chose it for the most like practical reason. And it wound up being like the best thing that I could have done, but it's just like, I made the decision as a 19 year old or, you know, with not a whole lot of like context. Um, and so me starting out in marketing, I just remember being a little bit like, I don't know, like I was excited, but a little part of me was like, wow, it's so hard to break in Um, because you needed experience to get hired and I didn't have experience. So I just remember at the beginning, like I had such a hustle mentality, even from back then that um, my ex at the time's mom had a nonprofit and I was like, I will do whatever you need for the nonprofit. Like I helped her build a website, didn't even know what I was doing. I did like all the marketing for them so that I could have a portfolio to land my first job. But I remember at the time being like, I'm just going to keep doing it, like whatever I got to do. And, you know, like I I feel like I still bring like that version of me today where I'm just like, okay, I'm going to figure it out. If I need that, where can I go get that experience? Who do I need to meet? It was really practical, even though I think that another thing that I was thinking about at the time was like, I didn't, um, I wanted it to be creative and not anything like too scientific, even though obviously in any job, well, not any, but like in marketing, like the the math behind it and the analytics behind it is also part of it. But I think at the time I didn't realize that. Um, But I really was like, I always was a creative. I was always like a performer or I played music like I was you know in orchestra I played violin and I performed and so it's like I and I was an artist too so when I was a kid I would like plaster my walls in my drawings so I just knew I wanted a creative job that paid well 
but it it just happened to be like I'm such a marketer like at heart and I it, from the perspective of like I'm fascinated with the way people think and that's a that's a big part of marketing that wound up being the through line of my whole career because there's a lot of marketing jobs some are almost 100% science and math and analytics and others are very creative mine was always like the human centric understanding people's brains like that's that wound up being the through line so it's funny how the things we're naturally interested in wind up being like what we gravitate towards without realizing it gravitating towards a passion definitely happens without even realizing it for a lot of people so when you were climbing the corporate ladder as you progress through your career And with there being so many different types of career paths in the marketing industry, how did you find the right type of marketing role that you wanted to do? Yeah, so I I think initially I just, um, I kind of did a little bit of everything because I didn't really know. Um, And so I... Where that started to take shape, I think, was um, I spent the first few years at like a small agency, um, like an insurance, and it was not a very exciting field, right? But I just fell into it, right? So it was my first job sort of, I fell into insurance. But then I went to like a bigger insurance company and there was just more room for me to ask questions and to like kind of make an impact. And so I remember like one of the very first campaigns that I was tasked with, I worked for a company called Blue Shield of California. I was there for six or seven years. And um, I just was always someone who, I don't know how these ended up with me. I think I just asked a lot of questions, (laughs) but I was in a department where like I wound up taking on struggling product suites where I would look at it and I'm like, why is it struggling? What are people saying? Where are they going instead? Why do they think that's better? Is it better? What is sales saying? Like, I just was this person who was like, I want to know what's happening because if this is my job to sell this product, like I'm not going to approach it from one lens. So I remember describing my role as being like, I would stick myself in the middle of being this bicycle spoke and I would want to know what's everybody doing? Why are they doing it? And that actually made me really, really good at my job because I was able to take that. And um, like one of the very first um, campaigns that I can kind of come back to and say like this, it took like the natural way that I thought was we sold a product that was exactly the same almost as a competitor's product. The competitor was more known for that product. They were just, you thought about that product and you thought about the competitor, not us. And so when I asked the questions um, about like what was happening, I realized like, A, this sounds really boring and confusing and I wouldn't want to buy it. Is there a way that we can, can I paraphrase all of this? Like, can we just say this in a more human way? Also, I was like, even though this is insurance, it looks like insurance. Can we make it look more dynamic and human and fun? And then we spun a story around it. We spun a whole like wellness story around it. And then we wound up like tripling sales like year over year. And we started to really become like a, a a solid competitor. And so it was the beginning of me spinning story around product to differentiate it and humanizing marketing and simplifying it. And then brand kind of being like the happy like umbrella around it all, but not just rebranding. And I don't know, that was just the beginning of like, that's the way my brain thinks. I'm always like, this sounds really hard. This sounds confusing. Like, why are we saying it like this? Can we say it's simpler? Is there a story behind this? Why would somebody buy this product? Did you ever feel nervous or anxious about being so forward with your ideas and your thoughts with superiors at the time? I know I would be. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know. Like, I definitely was... It's funny because I had a lot of insecurities around like 
personal stuff. Like I was the quiet friend um, and like the supporter, but like, I don't know why at work I felt like very confident and I think because that part of me was always nurtured, like I had this like idea or this identity from when I was young, like maybe I wasn't seen for other parts of my identity as a daughter of immigrants, but I was always seen for like being quote unquote, like smart, you know, and creative. And so I think when I would go in, I was just like, I have something to say where I did feel um, early on, like a little bit nervous was when I would be given the floor and I would then be leading a meeting with the, like we'd be um, kicking off a project brief. And then I was like, oh, I don't know what to say. It's like on the paper. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. So I think that's where I really started to kind of build like leadership skills where it's like, I was, I felt like I was smart on paper. Like I could put the stuff down, but then I think when it came to like talking in a room that really scared me. Um, and I think as I climbed up the ladder more so when I actually had a team, that is definitely where it got a lot more complex. Um, because at the beginning I felt like it was simple. It was about campaigns, but when I climbed up higher and I had teams and I had a bigger impact, it was a lot more about like influencing without authority and that introduced, and also being the only woman of color and often like the youngest. And that was a lot more complex. Influence without authority is such an interesting phrase. Would you mind elaborating a bit on that? Yes, definitely. Um, so the job that I can point that to for sure, um, where I really had to exercise that was, um, my, uh, my last job in corporate before I left and became a coach. So I was the director of marketing. It was a London-based recruitment agency. I was in London because I was married um, to my daughter's father. And so I was an expat. And um, I would come in as like the first marketing hire. So they'd have nothing. Like it would be a company that was just running and they were like making things up and working on based on relationships and networking and referrals. But I came in and basically they gave me the whole floor. They were like, here's our goals. Here's our struggles. Here's the different people. Um, here's your budget. <laughs> um, you it, And it wasn't a big one. It was kind of like justify each hire. Why? Um, how is that going to get you where you need to go? And so that was like the biggest test for sure of like, I really was given a lot of responsibility. However, they weren't necessarily like, okay, I'll give you what you want. Like I really had to learn how to sell my vision and sell my ideas based on what was important to each person. So I knew that my boss, you know, really was like not a big risk taker. So I had to really like connect those dots for him. So really that was probably where, man, like that was a very... <laughs> That was a very antiquated company in terms of like UK culture. It depends on the industry, but that industry in particular was really like kind of more old fashioned. And so I feel like I, I constantly had to be like, yes, I haven't been at the company for very long, but like, this is, these are my ideas and this is how I think it's going to help everybody. So it for sure was like where I had to really build like my negotiation skills, influence skills, leadership skills, marketing, hiring, retention, growth and development. Like I had to do everything until I ended up with a team of six. As a woman of color, you have to have a really good understanding about how those stakeholders work for your company and how to really cater to them. How did you go about navigating that? Looking back now, um, 
And I think the reason that I even have had to actively think about this is because I am a leadership coach. Um, but when I am a leadership coach to women in corporate in particular, that's kind of where I have to pull these things in because a lot of that is like navigating corporate structure and what some would consider red tape and like how do you influence um, versus when you're an entrepreneur and you can actually make any, like you could make the decisions, right? So I think at the very beginning, I, looking back, I'm like, oh, this is my like fascinated with what people think part of my brain, right? No one gave me direction. It was like, this was my company to help grow. And I just remember spending time with each person and interviewing them and just being like, talk to me about what's going on. Like, what feels hard for you? What are your goals? Like, what have you guys tried? It was almost like I had like a sales call in a way, like with each person, because in that way, I was like, what's important to them? Where do they want to go? What have they tried? Um, and sort of, I already was almost campaigning for marketing and my vision. And I really wanted to be someone who was like, how can everyone get what they want? Or if I'm pushing an initiative forward, I want to know how to position it to that particular person because I know what's important to them. And so I kind of had a little map of like everybody's brain and like what mattered to them and their personality. And so I in that way, I was able to push things forward at the company that were outside my role, but like helped us get better results because I didn't have the power to just do everything myself. I sometimes didn't have the budget. I had to influence other people in spending their budget in a way that helped everybody. So like, I was like, I was campaigning, like I was, <laughs> I was like negotiating and all of that. And I think, um, like, I'm really proud of the work that I did. Like, for example, um, certain things we did at this recruitment agency um, that I was responsible for was um, we, so we had to recruit all the time. This was like an Uber for hospitality talent. Think about it like that. So it was literally an app. I helped develop the app, all of that, where if you have a restaurant and you were short on staff, you could go on the app for my company and bring in a chef or a backup house person. So <clears throat> I wound up like through this, like, hiring this whole team to like support me and everything, but I ended up, oh, this is what it is. I would look at like, where was the root problem and where were they asking marketing to bring in more talent? And I was like, is it on marketing to bring in the talent or why aren't we using tools like LinkedIn recruiter? Like, why aren't we developing relationships with top talent before they're going to make a move? Cause some of the top talent are usually employed. So that wasn't my job, but it was being put on marketing. And so then I had to influence recruitment and I had to influence them to spend $30,000 on a tool to help everybody get what they want. So th those are the sorts of things that I was doing. And that's what directors have to do because you have a job, but sometimes it's outside of your scope and your job is to influence and really make it be known. Like, why are you recommending what you're recommending? Oh, I love that we dive into this topic because I think sometimes what happens too is um, not only do you have that responsibility is put on you, even though that's technically not in your realm, if something were to go wrong in that capacity, marketing will always get the brunt of the yes. complaints. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I feel like they don't know what we do a lot of the times. Like a, a lot of being in marketing is explaining what marketing does and doesn't do because they're just like, yeah, can you just like put out a campaign? And I'm like, it's not that easy. That's like super reactive. <laughs> like we need to know what we're doing, why we're doing it. And I think everyone sees the creative, but they don't see that that's just the tip of the iceberg, that the creative is the execution of the strategy. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can resonate with this. On so many different <laughs> levels. That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. 
So you were doing this for a while then? Yeah, I was at this job for five years, but I was in marketing since 2004. <laughs> so like before social media and everything else, like it was, I've been, I've been marketing with a lot of different, like the world is completely different now. And I always joke that like if the, the internet like didn't exist, like I would probably go back to a lot of the ways that like we used to market. But yeah, no, I was at the, at my last role for five years before I left to become a coach. So you spent a total of 16 years in the marketing industry. And to me, it seems like you were amazing at your job. If you don't mind sharing, what made you decide to leave and pursue coaching? That is a deep side question before I answer it. <laughs> There's a lot of factors that um, were involved. One was me being a single mother and the workforce not really being designed for the needs of a single mother. The second um, and I can kind of elaborate a little bit on that. Um, the second was that as a director, the jobs that I was interviewing for, like I remember, you know, having like third round interviews, back to back interviews at companies that I thought were like the dream because I eventually had to leave this company um, just to catch you up. But like I had to leave this company because I had, you know, I went through a divorce. I had my daughter. I moved back to California um, and I knew that I couldn't. I didn't want to lead my team in London forever, like early start meetings, all the things, right? So I knew that I had to leave. But I remember like sitting in these interviews, um, there was like one week where I had an interview at Google, Uber, and Facebook all like back to back. And I spent like 20 hours on a freaking presentation for like third round because you are such an influential person at this level that it's like, they're like, we're going to give you a new division. Like they're like giving me a new division, like something that they're testing out in the market. So I kind of have to be an entrepreneur within these companies. And I just remember spending all this effort being like, wow, there's this part of me that wants to say I work for Uber or say I work for Facebook. But in reality, like I was talking to them about like, okay, I have a daughter and I have to drop her off at like 8.30 in the morning and then I have to pick her up by 3.45 and like, is it okay if I do these things? And I never really got like back then, um, back in like 2019, an answer that said, oh yeah, absolutely. They were like, well, you can, but like you have to make up your hours and I don't know, it would depend and all of this. And I was just like, I just don't know that I want to keep doing this because this isn't a B. I know what kind of job this is to be first marketing hire. First marketing hires are ones that come in and build out like new divisions. And I just was like, I just don't know that I want this or that I want the idea of saying I work for one of these companies. So I decided in 2019, I was offered a job. <clears throat> the salary back then would have probably been it's like 180 base with like bonus and all of this. It probably would have been like a quarter million uh, like job offer because that's tech in San Francisco. Like they pay very well, but you are going to do some work. And I said no. And the day that I said no, I knew that I was not just saying no to the job, but I was just saying no to like the workforce in general, because I was like, if I'm going to take a job, this one is great. I would do it. And I said no, and I didn't really know what it was going to be, but that's ultimately like I just decided one day I was no longer going to interview for jobs and I was going to just figure out how to take what I knew and package it up and um, 
a year later or a little bit less than a year later, I was signing clients. I just didn't know what it was going to be at the time. <laughs> I just knew that I wasn't going to make it to the, my five-year anniversary at my job. I just knew I wasn't going to interview for more, you know, companies. So, um, but I wanted to make an impact and I wanted, you know, freedom and flexibility. And um, that's what I've been creating, you know, for myself and my business ever since. So you are getting job offers from some of the top tech companies in the U.S., and I can't imagine how difficult of a decision it would be to turn down an opportunity like that. As a first-generation immigrant, saying no to an offer like that would take absolutely everything in me, and then some. I want to know more about what making that difficult decision was like for you. Firstly, before I even said no to this thing, I think it's important to note how I felt during the interview process. I, in tech in the Bay Area, on many occasions, would interview with people who were much younger than me who literally had like doctorates or MBAs from Stanford and Yale. And they were like Ivy League, like Ivy League people are like interviewing me. And I'm sitting here being like, I have an MBA from like a Cal State University and feeling like an imposter for being there and not really seeing very many people of color. Like I was like the only like brown person, you know, there. And so it's like for me to get past the, am I worthy enough to even interview here? I obviously don't fit in. My boss had a, a doctorate from Yale. It was like, I can't even deal with this. To me getting the offer and like I wanted to throw up. Like I remember writing the email and looking at it and then I was like, if I, this is so much more than me saying no to this job. This is like, what are you doing, Mariela? If you're saying no to this, like, what are you going to, you're just going to keep interviewing? Because interviewing for a job takes dozens of hours at this level because everyone wants a presentation and like, they want, they want to know how you think. So I just remember sending the email and I think like I, there was a, there was a, there were a couple hours after I sent the email where if I could have taken it back, I would have. But I, I stuck with it. I almost like, well, I was going to almost write another email to like take it back. But I just said, I make good decisions. If I don't, I can't see myself going into this office every day. I just can't. Like, it's not my future. I just, I can't tell you why, but I don't envision myself driving to work and going into this office. And so I left it. They were surprised. <laughs> I don't know that this happens very often. And um, they were like, so where are you going a instead? And I was like, I'm not. <laughs> so I just, it, that was definitely like, when I look back at my life, there's definitely very like, there were decision-making points in my life that changed the course of my life. And that was definitely like one of them for sure. Because had I said yes, I never were, would have started this business because I was in the best position. I was in the best position at that time to grow a business on the side because of the time zone difference and the flexibility I had. I never would have done this. I would have gotten sucked right in. I think I knew that too. I knew that if I said yes, it was going to take over my whole life because that's how this was. I'd be hiring a team. I'd be doing all the, it would be like growing someone else's business. It would be. And I knew that this was, if I was going to make something happen, it was going to have to happen then. Saying no to big tech companies like Apple takes an incredible amount of willpower and a strong mindset, especially when you're a daughter of an immigrant and a woman of color. But there's a lot of inner conflict that exists while in that position. It took guts for Mariela to prioritize her own values and her goals over the allure of working for a big name company. I had to really think about like, 
it doesn't even really make sense to me, but I just knew that it wasn't for me. But my parents were always very much like, oh, Mika, like, as I was telling them about the interviews, of course, and they were like, that's so good. Like, you're interviewing at these companies. Oh, my gosh. And like, you know, just the idea of like working at the Facebook campus. And it's very romantic. Like, you go and you see the campus and you're like, oh, my gosh, there's like all these restaurants. And like, I was going to work in like the AR VR division. So it's like the virtual reality. Like, it was going to be my job to like market those like virtual reality like glasses. Um, and I just, I had to just stop talking about it. Like, I think I just was like, at the time I just used like, no, I just need a little bit more flexibility because of Adriana. Like my daughter is now six, but she was like a toddler at the time. And I think I just was like, I'm going to have to protect this because I feel a little fragile about it. And if I feel a little fragile about it, I'm just going to be very mindful about what I share. And I didn't really talk about it to anyone other than other entrepreneurs that I found in the space. And I felt like I found another community of other people who were like, are we all crazy? Or do we all like actually have these big dreams? And that's what I did. I just protected my dream until kind of the way that you protect a little like fledgling plant that has one little leaf and like the wind could blow it over. And I just was like, I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to figure this out until I know what it is. And then I'm just going to nurture it and I'm going to feed it and I'm going to take care of it until I can quit my job. Absolutely. So it took a whole year before you quit your job, but that's basically when you started the coaching business. How did you find online coaching? Might have been on Instagram. I don't remember, but I came across like I just started to look at personal development. So, um, like I bought Marie Forleo's book because I had bought Marie Forleo's B School like back when I had a newborn, where B School kind of helps you figure out your business idea. So I took B School. Um, it helped me identify like superpowers, like it's very high level. Read um, everything is figure outable. Started following Jenna Kutcher, and that's what it is. I started following Jenna Kutcher and listening to her podcast. And Jenna Kutcher had partnered with. With Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi on a program called the Knowledge Business Blueprint. And the very first time they launched it was in May 2019. And because Jenna was someone who I had like admired and looked up to in the space and she was a mom, I was like, okay, what does this mean? Like, what is this program? And the program basically was like, how can you take what you know and either package it up and market it? Or how can you kind of mastermind and bring people together and then, you know, kind of charge for your mastermind? I never wound up going, I don't really like that business model, but like the whole concept of figuring out how you can take the knowledge that you have and market it was really fascinating to me. And that is the community that um, like one of my longest <laughs> uh, time, like business friends who we both know, Hannah Nieves, we were both in that program. Um, and it just was the beginning of me. It, it's almost like discovering this like secret community of other people who are like, there's going to be a thing. I'm going to do a thing, but I don't know what it's going to be. And that was just enough fuel to the fire of I'm going to figure this out. I then invested in a bunch of other you know, programs to kind of help me get clarity. I didn't use a lot of them, but eventually I hired my first business coach in October 2019. And because I had spent most of 2019 like just serving and sharing what I knew, didn't have an offer, but I was like, if I knew something about marketing or I knew something about content or brand building, I was just on sharing something every day after work. So by the time I had an offer, it didn't take long for me to start booking clients because I had built a brand and I had built a reputation. And I quit my job in uh, March of 2020. So like by the time I landed my third client, I quit. That was what I told myself. You're going to land three clients and you're going to quit. Because if you can land three, you can land 10. You can land 20. 
And you know what? I remember that moment, March 2020. I was sitting in my dining table and I was just looking on Instagram and I remember you posted this story of you with your team behind you. It was like a selfie style, right? You were talking about how like this was a big move, but you're so excited for it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you remember that? That was just, I was so in my feels. I was so in my feels back then. It was like they were my babies. Like I felt like that. You know, it's just like this, everything there was something that was my creation. Um, But I really, what was so interesting um, about that, that I wouldn't have thought at the time was that COVID hit in March, 2020. And two days after I sent the email to HR, um, to my HR manager to say that I was quitting, my boss says, we need to cut half your team because the hospitality industry has come to a standstill. So no one needs, no one needs their services essentially. And I said, you must, maybe they haven't told you, but like I handed my notice in two days ago and he's like, oh no, they, yeah, they didn't tell me. And it just turned into my whole team and I would have gotten let go. Um, They kept one person. And so it's just wild how that worked out because I would have been out of a job anyways, um, but just surprised and out of a job. And I was able to keep my content marketing manager um, who was on that team, um, who has now been like the longest standing member on my team, Ella. She's been with me. um, They've been with me for almost three years. And so it's just, it's interesting how things work out because I made that decision and then was able to take someone who was so amazing on my team and bring them with me. um, And they're still with me now. Another thing I wanted to mention is the fact that you made your decision to leave having only signed three total clients. The confidence that you had in yourself is something that I think is truly amazing. To just know that it was your time to leave because you believed in yourself. Did you feel like you were taking a risk? I'm a risk taker. As I've been, I don't think I realized that. I've realized that very recently that I am, I'm, after being a non-risk taker for all of my 20s, I became like a wild risk taker in my 30s, I think. Um, so it, there was, I don't know now I think about it. I'm like, that sounds kind of crazy, but I had savings too. So it's not like I was just going in and totally writing off my money either. Um, I'm such a spreadsheet person too, when it comes to like, if I'm taking a risk, I'm also like, okay, well, what are my expenses? What's my runway? You know, and I, I had my little runway like out in my head and everything. So I knew that it was fine. And I, I had recovered financially from my divorce and everything. Um, Cause that took a toll on me, but I I'm so good with savings that I was like, I'll be good. I'll be okay. <laughs> hey there podcast fans. If you're loving our show, we want to hear from you. Leaving a review is the best way to share your thoughts and help us make our content even better. And if you really want to share your support, share this episode on your Instagram stories and tag us at chair media. By sharing our show with your friends and audience, you're helping us reach more people and build our community. Let's spread the word and create something amazing together. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, you can turn your passion into profit. Now back to the episode. You had previously mentioned that the main reason you were saying no to these big tech companies was because you wanted the freedom and lifestyle of owning your own business. So I'm curious, was starting your own business something that you had always dreamed of? No, I never did. Um, I don't think I ever told myself I wanted to start a business. I think um, what I started to realize later on in my career was that I needed to 
care about what I was marketing for me to be really good at it. And I think that in interviewing at tech, I was just like, there's not, (laughs) there just isn't that like excitement about like, I really care about this. And then you start to see questionable ethics behind closed doors of like wildly questionable ethics. Um, And I just was like, I can't be part of that. But the company that I had come from previously, I loved, it was a recruitment company, but I loved that, you know, they allowed us people to move from all over, you know, Europe to come to London. One of the very first things people, a lot, often people do when they move to London is they go into hospitality. So there were just like so many cool stories. We were doing a lot of storytelling around like our staff and our team. And in tech, I was just like, I just, I don't know that I could market something that doesn't matter to me. And I really just started to think like, am I really going to spend my career just like fabricating excitement for something? Or am I actually going to take what I know and actually like do something that I think matters. Um, so I think that there was also that as well. It started to become harder to just go through the motions. For many online entrepreneurs, 2020 was their springboard. They had nothing to lose. They gave it their all and dove headfirst into growing and scaling their business. Even if it meant they had to figure out a lot of things on their own along the way, whether it was making their first hire Realizing that their business is no longer a hobby that makes money, but a company that changes lives, things moved fast, and it was no different for Mariela. I remember getting to like August of that year, and it was like a $23,000 month. And and I think the thing is, is I made a lot of decisions really quickly about treating this like a business. So like I hired Ella four months in, my assistant who's still with me. Um, I had systems built out. I like put the processes and the systems and the team behind the business. Because I said, you know, if I were to get hit with seven clients tomorrow, I couldn't handle it. I was doing everything manually. And it's funny because I hired Ella and did my system, got my systems done. And the next month I had eight new clients. So it was like, I was just like, I'm going forward. Like I treated my business like it was full time. I think before it was full time. And then once I was full time, I, I made moves that like, like it was a multiple six figure business. And I think that that accelerated things really quickly. I also have always been somebody who has focused heavily on like visibility and partnering with other people. So like I was doing lives all the time. I was networking my butt off like all the time. Like I was meeting so many people and um, I was on podcasts. Like it was just so I was I felt like I was everywhere. Like that's what I kind of did naturally that that's where clients were finding me. And a lot of them were like, I haven't really seen any other Latina like business coaches at all in the space. And because I wasn't just a Latina coach in the space, I was speaking to first gen. And I was like, this is why, you know, entrepreneurship was hard for me. And like, I really started to talk about the mindset, the difficulties that women of color um, or the mindset challenges that women of color and first gen have in business. I just, I felt like I was like the only option and everyone would come to me and like, they would quote that. And they're like, you understand the mindset struggles. You were speaking exactly to the mindset struggles that I'm having right now. I want to work with you. So I think that that's what it is, is like, I found my thing really early on and I spoke to my specific person and I've, I've done that ever since. Instead of trying to like be the business coach for everybody, I was like, no, like I really want to solve a specific problem in a, in a different way for my people. When it comes to growing and scaling an online coaching business, 
There are so many different philosophies out there, but Mariella found a winning formula that helped her skyrocket to success in no time. What was her secret, you ask? She did one thing, and she did it exceptionally well. Mariella made sure that she was the go-to coach in the industry for women of color who wanted to establish themselves as leaders. By focusing all her energy and resources on this one offer, she was able to create a powerful brand that spoke directly to her target audience, and the results speak for themselves. Her business scaled quickly, and she became a leader in her field. I only sold one-on-one. Um, yes, I think the only variations would be like, I, I did VIP days for like hiring and things like that. Um, but everything else was one-on-one literally until this month, February, <laughs> because I now have a mastermind, but I stuck with one-on-one coaching for three years because I landed my first client February, 2020. And in February, 2023, I launched my mastermind. So I feel like I know my person so well at different stages from before they've landed a client to a over six figure business. Like I know their brain and I took it what you would consider to be slow, but I feel like I've built such deep roots along the way and like really, really, really becoming known for talking kind of about the same thing for three years. That's really what it is. I think very few people are willing to talk about the same thing um, or the same type of problem like over and over again until you really not just become known for it, but like can speak to that person and that need like backwards and forwards in every way possible. And I love one-on-one coaching. I think the thing is, is even from being in the coaching space, sometimes when people have thoughts about one-on-one, um, they have thoughts about one-on-one coaching. Like they aren't 100% comfortable with it. They have thoughts about their clients. There's so much intimacy in one-on-one coaching and sometimes there's resistance there. So it's almost like I have no res- – I love one-on-one coaching. I love it. I love it. I love it. I I love it. And I think that's why like people can feel that. And I know I'm a really good coach. And I just think I'm now learning to love facilitating a group and watching them bond and watching them schedule like their first IG live collabs together and hanging out and like sharing their wins together. And I'm just learning to love a different thing and say like, I don't need to be involved in every, um, and every conversation for my clients to get a transformation. So it's a big change in that I know inevitably like new sales are supposed to fluctuate now, you know, because when you're selling one-on-one, it's just like, okay, like I'm an, I'm going to have a baseline of, you know, 15 to 30K, right? When you're selling 15K packages, you could have a baseline of that. Now um, I stopped marketing. Um, I know that this is not like, a, I wouldn't do this long-term. Eventually I would always want to enroll new clients, but like I made the decision to stop marketing um, to not take on new one-on-one clients and just renew. And that's been a lot for my nervous system, to be honest, because I'm like, I could be selling, I could be marketing, but I'm not because I'm, I'm feeding the future iteration of my business, which is, you know, this mastermind and, um, a, uh, a smaller ticket offer that I'm going to be launching, um, sometime this year for, um, I would say like probably people that are a little bit earlier on. So 
it's just a big, like that one will eventually feed into their mastermind. So it's going to phase out my one-on-one coaching eventually. So I know by the end of the year, I won't be doing it anymore. And most people don't do one-on-one coaching for as long as I have. So it's about time, but I'm, I'll go through a process of like letting go and learning to love facilitating a group and actually saying, hey, maybe I'm even better at facilitating a community than I am because I'm still going to be the great one-on-one coach, but I I am going to trans- help them transform their lives even more because they're going to have each other. And it's going to be this trauma-informed space that centers the lived experiences of, of first-gen and women of color and like how healing that's going to be, where I have to be like my impact has to span beyond the hours that I spend with each person. Like my impact is in the spaces I create, in the trust that people have in me, um, in the curriculum and like the guest coaches that I bring in, like that's going to be my impact. And that's just going to be an adjustment for me. So you started enrolling for the mastermind in October, but you didn't officially start until February. Of course, there were four months of wait time. How did you handle that? The one thing that I did was I gave myself permission and I was coached on this as well to sell sell the mastermind in the same way that I had sold one-on-one. And because I had a three-month wait for one-on-one, I was like, well, my, my clients are used to waiting. They are willing to wait to start with me and that's not going to be any different for this mastermind. And part of what I had been doing at the time was um, like giving them like an introductory call like one of our calls would be early and then we'd really kind of it's almost like a vip day like we would set the groundwork for stuff i'd give them some tools and that's all i did with the mastermind we had monthly calls until we started um i connected everyone on slack so they all were like meeting each other you know talking and introducing one another and i just i let it be as easy as me saying i have a mastermind i don't even have clear messaging around it if you want to skip the line dm me and i had like five my first five clients enrolled that the first week that I mentioned that I was opening doors like I didn't even have clear messaging it's like the like when you look back I was like this would seem like it was the worst in terms of marketing like it wasn't clear and it's but it was okay looking back because I was like they just wanted to work with me and that was enough next time it's going to be very different but I just let it be as simple as I have a mastermind (laughs) If you want to join, I'm not, I don't know when it's going to, you know, when we're going to like open doors and that was it. Um, so again, it was really just reputation. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be intentionally small this time around, but it hit the number, like it surpassed the number that I said would be like sold out for me, which was eight. And then we ended up with 10 and then one of them stayed as my private client. So we ended up with nine and that was good for me because I really wanted it to feel like intimate and intentional for the first round so that I can also learn from it and really like be present with each person. Women of color, and I'd say first gen, like we are just very community-based like people, you know? So I think that we actually do better, especially when we feel safe, especially when we feel seen, especially when we don't have to explain certain parts of ourselves because others just understand. So that on its own will create results because people feel safe to receive it. As a woman of color, entrepreneurship can be a tough road to navigate. But you know what they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And for this entrepreneur, her business has been a powerful catalyst for healing. She's found that running her own business has given her the freedom to express herself creatively. 
and the opportunity to connect with like-minded individuals who share her values and vision. But perhaps most importantly, it's given her the chance to break down the barriers that have held her back in the past. Mariela's faced her fair share of challenges, but through entrepreneurship, she's been able to carve out a space for herself in the world and make a positive impact on others. Almost the entire time I've had my business, I haven't always had a business coach. I have the last year and a half because my business is too big now to not have a business coach, but I've always had um, a life coach. So I had a life coach for the first year and then I had a uh, somatic, um, like a life coach with like somatic um, healing and nervous system regulation. Like she, she was really the one who helped me like work through my trauma that was being activated through my business, um, through things like fear of abandonment. I have a huge abandonment wound. And so even as I called in the results, I was so scared to lose them. I was working through fears around it being a fluke, working through fears around my clients secretly being mad at me and leaving, um, working through fears around my launch feeling too easy and me not deserving it because I didn't work, like didn't send out 50 emails, you know? And it's, it's funny because you would think like success would feel easy to receive, but it doesn't. Success can activate so much worthiness, so much fear, so much, a lot of things. And me working with my coach, Yudi, all of last year, like I, I say this like in all seriousness, like I bawled my eyes out most, like almost every week on our calls because I had to let go of all of this, um, you know, fear and shame in order to receive this. And which is why in my mastermind, I was like, Yudi, I need you in this to co-coach with me. Um, so she does like monthly um, sessions because I was like, I couldn't have received all of this without going through the healing work. So I wanted to integrate the healing and the somatic work into that, especially because, you know, what as first gen, like we do come from, you know, trauma backgrounds in terms of like watching our parents struggle and, you know, money mindset and all of that, that it's like, I can't serve women of color and not integrate that into that because that was the hardest thing. Like my parents, you know, were grew up in poverty. My grandfather's worked in the fields for 50 cents an hour. Like this is where we're coming from. If you think like receiving money is going to feel easy, like it doesn't. <laughs> um, so I had to work through all of that. It was a huge, like I, I could not, I don't think I could have received all of this without that, without her help. Growing up without a lot of money can have a powerful impact on your relationship with wealth. For some, it can create a sense of fear or even aversion to money. But if you've never had much, the idea of losing what you do have can be terrifying. But here's the thing, achieving true success means overcoming those fears and healing your relationship with money. That's what Mariela discovered and she's about to dive deeper into. By addressing the emotional and psychological wounds that were holding her back, she was able to move past her fear of losing money and start building a thriving business. And it's not just about money either. When you heal your relationship with wealth, you're also healing your relationship with yourself. You'll feel more confident, more empowered, and more capable of achieving your dreams. Oh my gosh. So I can tell you how it's shown up for me, but I also can tell you how I've seen it show up for clients because it's like, it's very, like, it's fascinating and also just really humbling to just be like, wow, like we really are like human beings. We're such like fascinating creatures, you know? So <clears throat> there's definitely like been worthiness um, or just fear around um, 
I feel tired and burnt out, so I don't know that I can handle like another three clients. But really the reality is you could handle three clients, but you're over delivering to the clients that you have because you don't want to set boundaries with them because you're afraid that they're going to be like mad at you or you're not going to be a good coach. So it's things like that. Like you're blocking new clients because you're over delivering in an unhelpful way is one. Another is I've seen clients who don't who are who actually don't trust themselves with more than a certain amount in their bank account because they have money stories of how they've spent money in the past and so they're like they don't even want to receive the money <laughs> so it's things like that or raising their prices and like what is that going to mean that they think that they have to show up differently or give more in order to raise their prices like they associate raising their prices with spending more hours so then we have to coach around that um, we, I've also had to coach around like when, it, when a client has a lot of clients that they're like, someone's going to be mad at me because they're going to notice that like I'm serving too many clients and maybe I shouldn't serve as many clients. And I was like, so there's just so much fear of loss. Um, like I think around there, fear of people being mad at you and like being good with money thoughts around not being good with money or that the money might be taken away or they'll grow to a certain extent where they have to now invest. They either have to hire a team member or they need to do some work in their business um, or they or they want to just stop working with a coach because they're like, okay, well, this is like good enough, but they're struggling. And I'm just like, listen, this is just like part of business. Like, Managing your mind, your mind being the biggest asset in your business and you're going to have an unmanaged mind in business, like that's... And so they'll know they'll interfere with their own success there too. Um, so there's just so much around worthiness, safety, relationship with money, fear of loss, fear of failure <laughs> that comes up in business. Like this is why I feel like I spend like 70% of my time coaching on that. And the marketing and the brand positioning and all of that is just kind of like, it's just there. Like we'll obviously get to it, but what actually blocks them is the 70% of where I spend my time. It was really a byproduct of my own healing, to be honest, because when I first started coaching, I was coaching a lot more on like the symptoms of things. So it's like I would give them suggestions um, and I would validate why certain things felt hard, but I didn't really know how to make the connection yet. Um, I can say for sure, like I have been a very like avid student of myself and my healing. And I think just through serving ugh, dozens and dozens and dozens of first gen and like on a one-on-one -on -one basis and knowing them, it was also like, it was my healing, but it was also just like, I've had so many hundreds and hundreds of hours of coaching where I've started to notice patterns. And then I would use either my experience or something else that I heard and I'd ask a question, I'd help them make connections. And then I noticed many people were making similar connections. So it's almost like I found patterns, helped them connect it. And then I had a little bit more of a frame of reference when I would see a similar fear come up. And then I would ask questions and help them figure out whether the same sort of patterns were coming up. So I really find that like, women of color and first gen, I'd say first gen specifically, we need to be coached differently just because we tend to have a very um, more similar stories in terms of our parents like immigrated because they were not in good like situations financially in their home countries and the feeling of uh, feeling indebted to our parents and um, hard work and needing to be the hardest worker in the room and feeling like we owe it to them and all of those things um, and how that shows up in business. So yeah, it's definitely been like me being a student of myself and my healing and then just all the conversations that I've had over the years. So what does the future of your business look like? And what can we expect from this point forward? Are you thinking about your legacy? 
Well, that's a good question around legacy. Um, well, I know that this year, um, focusing on me creating a community and community-based more like community-based offers and community-based business models um, is important. So with the mastermind and then with the um, soon to come like smaller ticket offer um, for kind of like earlier stage um, entrepreneurs and really making those the same way that I focused on -on one-on-one coaching and being the best that I can possibly be and knowing them so, so, so well. Like that's what I now want to do with my mastermind is like make it the best it can possibly be. And then with this new offer, Um, I would love to launch a live event this year. I will. I don't think it'll be this summer because I would have already needed to start planning it. But I think that when I launched my mastermind in May and then again in um, uh, November, And so I think maybe for the kickoff of not the next one, but the one after, there'll probably be a live event associated with that because the it's just the power of it is just amazing. So I just need some resources to help me, you know, do that. And I just really like the legacy that I, when I think about like, what do I want to be known for? And like, what is the impact that I want to make on the world? Is that like, I want more women of color to feel safe, like, using their voices and getting paid for like their voices and their ideas um more so than like what they can do because when women of color are holding the mic and they're making decisions and they're calling the shots like the whole world benefits because we are creating solutions that are that generally like uplift our communities and so i want us to be making money, um, but not just making money for like our services, but also for our ideas and for our voices and our stories. Um, because those are typically, you know, we've had to leave those at the door, you know what I mean? So I always talk about the concept of like identity as a competitive advantage. And I really want to help women monetize that. Like I want them to see how their identities are a competitive advantage in their work. I want them on stages. I want them, you know, just being, just bosses that are like known and industry leaders, you know, and I really want to help them to to believe that and then help to carve the path for them to be that person. Oh, I love that. I'm so excited for you, Mariela. <laughs> Thank you. I feel I always feel compelled to say this because um, just because of my like life story um, that no matter where you are and no matter what choices you've made or what your upbringing is, like it's never too late to create the impact and the life that you want to have like starting from today and that you're not in a rush because me being I'm 42 years old and people often like don't know this but it's like if I could go back like I feel like it's my duty to go back and just be like if you're even sitting in discomfort if you're even questioning why you're here if you are going through healing if you are making mistakes that's you're on the right path that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're not taking the safe path. So you're already winning if you're on the journey in the first place. So that's what I would say because I wish that I would have started that sooner. I mean, I do and I don't. I wish that I had started this like journey sooner of like choosing my own path. But that's what I do now as a coach. So that's okay. <laughs> I hope you feel inspired and motivated after listening to my conversation with the amazing Mariela de la Mora. This woman is a force to be reckoned with. From climbing the corporate ladder in the cutthroat marketing industry to turning down high-paying tech jobs in Silicon Valley in order to pursue her own passions, Mariela has never shied away from a challenge. And now as a successful entrepreneur and coach, 
She's using her experiences to help other women of color achieve their own success. It's impossible not to be inspired by her story. Mariela's proof that with hard work, determination, and a willingness to take risks, anything is possible. Mariela's journey is a testament to the power of perseverance and self-belief. She's faced challenges and setbacks along the way, but she's always been able to pick herself back up and keep pushing forward. Whether you're a woman of color looking to start your own business, or just someone who's struggling to overcome their own fears and doubts, Mariela's message is clear. Healing comes first and success will follow. So take a page from Mariela's book and don't be afraid to take risks, to bet on yourself, and to pursue your dreams with passion and purpose. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. We couldn't have done it without the hard work and dedication of our amazing team. A special thanks to Kimberly and Brandon for their incredible scripting and quality checking skills. Andrew for his exceptional audio design and Addie for her outstanding graphics and marketing support. And of course, a huge thanks to our guests for sharing their passion and story with us today. Be sure to check out the show notes for an exclusive blog interview with our guest, as well as links to support them and their business. And don't forget to leave a review and share this podcast on your social media stories. We appreciate your support and can't wait to bring you more great content in the future. Thanks again for listening.